Welcome to the Unseen Realm with Paul Renfro and friends. I'm your host, Paul Renfro, and with me are dear friends and mature people who are studying the scripture together about living as a spirit. We're using the scriptures in my book, Nobody Sees This You, How to Live as a Spirit in the Unseen Realm. It's available at ParadigmLighthouse.com. That link is in the show notes. You're welcome to get a copy, but you can just follow along. We'll have a whiteboard that has the excerpts and the Bible verses we'll be discussing. But it's the tagline that probably drew you to this presentation. Finally, a Bible explanation for what you are experiencing. Because all of us in this group are like you. We have been through this process of having that itch inside that nobody could scratch. But instead of giving up or just taking it as part of the norm, we each have pursued God and found that He could scratch that itch. When strange things keep happening in you and in your life circumstances, don't you feel deep down that there is something, some way, somehow, some, somebody in an unseen world that is active and maybe even determinative in this visible present world and maybe in your life? Well, you aren't crazy. That is happening to more and more people, and we know because it's happening to us as well. So we know for a fact that it is God agitating people to draw near to him. And that's not an easy process. So we welcome you to join in. That's what we're discussing tonight. Please give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down because your comments are welcome. And the show notes will tell you how to contact me directly. Now, my friends and I, thank you for joining us. It's a privilege to talk about these things with each other and to include you. We're taking one Bible passage at a time that's used in my book, Nobody Sees This You, How to Live as a Spirit in the Unseen Realm. And so first, I read the scripture, and then we read the short excerpt about that scripture from the book. And then our group discusses it together, and I'm sure you'll find that to be not only fascinating, but also relevant to your own questions. So let's get started. On this portion, we're going to start with an excerpt from our book, and then we'll bring in the scriptures afterwards that relate to it. Let's get started. God has revealed everything needed for truth in the Bible. The Word of God tells all we need about being saved spirits, but very little is in outline form. Most of the Bible's revelation is between the lines. Book two of the Unseen series is Nobody Sees This Unseen Realm, How to Unlock Bible Mysteries. There, you'll find advanced techniques to unlock the unseen world in the Bible. But if you've never had Bible study training, that same book, book two, also will give you the basics of inductive Bible study. We begin the nine book series with this list of characteristics as a spirit. This following applies to any spirit, evil or holy, angelic or human. My list may not be accurate, it may not be exhaustive. As you mature, you will sharpen your own understanding of God's Word. If you go further in the Unseen series, the foundation you gain here will propel you even higher up and further in into the world of the Unseen. So we expect you and everyone to exceed the biblical discoveries that I've included in the Unseen series. You are welcome to render everything I've written outdated. We want everything that God gave us in his word, no holds barred. Now, the characteristics of spirit. Identity. Spirit has its own identity. My spirit's identity is not dependent on any external reference. I'm not a spirit because some person or institution says I am. I am a spirit, period, 
especially as a Christian, whether anybody else knows it or whether I know it or even agree is irrelevant. I am a spirit because Jesus gave me spirit birth. Number two, will. Spirit can determine, prefer, desire, think, and act. Spirit exercises its will of its own volition. A spirit needs no external power in order to choose. Spirits have the power of choice. Wherever the power to choose is present, there is a will that can be exercised. Now note, choices may be available, and yet the power to choose one over the other may be missing. Number three, attributes. A spirit has personhood. Your spirit has unique expressions distinct from other spirits. Spirits don't combine or merge or meld. Each of our spirits is an individual person whom God created when he saved us by faith in Jesus Christ. Each spirit will be an individual, distinct person for eternity. Number four, presence. A spirit is a definite being. It is not an indefinite force, and it can be present with other spirits. Expression. A spirit can communicate. Its expression influences other spirits, unsaved people, and creation itself. The Bible shows us that spirits communicate using words, pictures, sensations. Number six, perception. A spirit can perceive other created beings. As a result, spirits can communicate with and receive from other spirits. Number seven, community. Spirits prefer relationship. They relate to one another, both in pairs and in groups. And lastly, commitment. Spirits commit themselves. They commit to their own identity and to other spirits. Without a commitment, a spirit does not thrive. A spirit's will and commitment dance together. A spirit cannot be lackadaisical, but instead exercises its will to commit and to uphold commitment. Now, that is an excerpt from pages 33 to 34 in the book, Nobody Sees This You, How to Live as a Spirit in the Unseen Realm. And these characteristics are not stated in the Bible. They use a technique described in book two of the Unseen series called reverse engineering. In other words, for the things that the Bible clearly states are true, what else has to be true that is not stated? And these are among them. And Rebecca, what are your thoughts as we go through this and did some scriptures come to mind as we did so? Yes, as you wrote in your book, a lot of it does have to be read between the lines. And so I think that's definitely true. A couple of verses that I did look up that I think do relate to some of these attributes of the spirit is, and that is one of the words attributes, is Isaiah 64, 8. Oh, beautiful. What does it say? Yeah, yeah. I'll read it out loud. Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And as we were talking about earlier, um, he is the one who owns everything. And we all, everything that we have comes from him. And But I thought it related to both the identity aspect and also the attributes. The spirit has its own expression, personhood. It's individual and distinct. And I think that shows in that verse, as the potter made all of us individually. 
It um, really then, does. Was there another yeah, one you said? Yeah, there's one more that I found. It is Ephesians 2.10. It's similar. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Oh, boy. That and really drives the point home. Yes, it does. Wow. Jerry, what are your thoughts? And were there some scriptures that came to mind, or did you have questions? Well, Paul, this may stir up some. You know, I'm going to go for it. Yeah, right. That's what we're here for. I'm right in the middle of reading 1 Samuel. Mm -hmm. And 1 Samuel 18, verse 10 says, The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. And you see this not only in Samuel, but you also see it in Exodus, where God uses evil spirits to cause certain effects to happen within individuals. Mm -hmm. And when you read that, a spirit is a defined being that's piqued my memory <laughs> to reading that. And I said, okay, let's talk about this. <laughs> good, good. All right. All right, boy. Listener, viewer, it's wide open. Oh, first of all, we're not here pretending to have answers, but we like our questions and we're going to use our questions to understand more of God's mysteries. And now, doubtless, you, you may have had some encounter with God where you said, that doesn't seem like the God I was taught or what have you. Okay, well, it's fair game. Let's just see what's going on because uh, that's part of the adventure. Jerry, I'm going to close the whiteboard and I'm going to share the scripture here. Right here is what you are talking about. I just highlighted it. It happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. And that's how David got his entree, because the music that David played provided a soothing effect for Saul's inward distress. And that's 1 Samuel 18, 10. And so then the question is, let's just use this distressing spirit from God. Before we talk about who, what, where, and where, and how, if we go back and we look, the distressing spirit from God, it has distinct presence. I think we can agree on that, right? And a distressing spirit from God has commitment. <laughs> it comes upon Saul. It has attributes. It's distressing. And NIV yeah. calls it evil spirit. Okay, evil spirit. Same. And very clearly, it has its own identity. So we just applied a little acid test of the spirit attributes. So in order for this phrase, the distressing spirit from God to come upon Saul or the evil spirit from God to come upon Saul, these things have to be true of that spirit. Isn't that interesting? Now, tell you what, before we delve into this mystery, let's see what other scriptures. Lisa, let's come over to you. Do you have a scripture or a question like this or thoughts on this topic? No, I was just listening and taking it all in. I was trying to look up, like I said, I just really feel like such a infant spirit. <laughs> <laughs> We're all in this together. You, there's no, you don't need any excuse. You are right at home here. I am for, I belong to the audience, to the other people that are watching this going, oh, yeah, that's go right. For it. Yeah, go for it. No, they'll relate to you. All right. that, and all of us, I'm sure. Go ahead. Yeah. No. The, Anything to add? Okay. And this, Lundy, you're next. So let's see what you got to say. I, I really don't have anything to add, but I'm okay. enjoying it's okay. interesting. Thank you. Okay. And then Rebecca, how about you? Not on this particular talk topic. I am just listening at this point to, to what I just count on y'all to help me out here. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and there are other scriptures where this same thing does occur. 
And one of them, most notably, is First Kings 20. There's a evil king, Ahab, who's the king of the northern 10 tribes of Israel at that point in time. And then prophet Micaiah comes to the court. He's summoned to the court specifically because he usually has a contrary prophecy to what King Ahab likes to hear. And after pretending to mimic what the 400 yes men say, then then Ahab adjures Micaiah to tell me what God really said. And here's the reply. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. So that right there tells us that Micaiah had a vision very similar to John's vision in Revelation 4 and 5 and uh, very similar to Daniel's vision in Daniel 7. And so when God wants to reveal himself, he certainly can, and then the people become prophets when this happens to them. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So the Lord had appointed this uh, end of life moment for King Ahab, who had indulged such wickedness. So one spoke in this manner, one spirit in the court of heaven, and another spoke in that manner in the courts of heaven. And then verse 21 of chapter 22, then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. What a drama that prophet Micaiah is witnessing here. If one of us witnessed this, we might be nervous about telling the king. It took a lot of bravery. And in fact, Micaiah did lose his life over this honesty, candor, and bravery because King Ahab did not take kindly to it, even though King Ahab forced him to spill the beans. A spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So the spirit said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Now here, let's just focus on that one statement. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And so what do you have there? You have this witness that the spirit had identity. It had a will. It could communicate. It attributes. It could express itself. It could perceive. And it worked in community. Then you had this kind of popcorn scenario where spirits are coming forth and sharing their plans and so forth. And so the courts of heaven are not just little white clouds where people play harps. Heaven is more real than we are. Heaven is where God is. Wherever God is, is more real. That's his. And there he's visible and communicative. Whereas for us, he's part of the unseen realm. And listener, viewer, and each of us, this calls for humility. There are so many things that we don't understand and that God is not revealed. And so the time and verse that I want to share with each of us, as well as listeners, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Now, if you've got any age under your belt, you'll remember the year 2929, right? Aquarius, the age of Aquarius. Oh, my goodness. So that makes it easy for me to remember this verse. This is my little mnemonic device. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And we can ask. There's never any harm in asking. The Lord God has given us everything we need in the scripture, and yet it yields its fruit for maturity and passion, and it's not low-hanging, and uh, God's not cheap. So it requires a drive and a passion to go higher up and further in, and so 
each of us and listeners, we know God is tickling us. He's tickling us. He's agitating us. Come higher. Come to me. What does it say in James 5? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so this is what these mysteries are like, the trail of breadcrumbs to draw us in further. And so here we have this scenario in the courts of heaven where God Almighty and his spirits have a conclave. And then you see it again in the book of Job. And the, the world of heaven and the heavenly realms is a very active place with much greater reality than we know and understand, given our asphalt, concrete, two-by-fours, digital technology, coffee, and skin and bones. So there was a day that God revealed in the book of Job. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now, there, the sons of God refers to angelic beings. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And they continue to have a conversation and the book of Job results from that. And when we come back, Jerry, to your question about the evil spirit from God that came upon Saul, does it mean that God is the origin of evil? No, he, he it plainly says in Habakkuk 2, that's not the case. Saul created his own evil because of his disobedience, and that's plainly outlined in the 1 Samuel 15, where Samuel says to Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice, because what Saul had done was like the sin of witchcraft and divination. And so Saul opened his own door to these things. What Lisa said earlier about Halloween and the caution that that sprung up within her regarding evil spirits is very well taken, because we don't want any of this. Now, for you, listener, who, if you're a Christian, then uh, the thing is to pursue the Lord. You don't have to fend off occupying enemies. Pursue the Lord. He'll take care of it, like Lundy said earlier. It's a process of maturity, as we've discussed in past episodes. All right. That is a sure good question there, Jerry. Let's go back to you. I'm going to let you have the final word on that segment. I had a lot of discussions today about... Christians and various people that call themselves Christians and how they reveal the depth in which they are truly a Christian when certain things are asked of them. The scriptures like this in the Bible, there are things that bother me when I read them because they deal with an image of God that I don't think any of us should ever believe because he commands certain things to be done through certain people, and sometimes using various spirits. And th- these pieces of scripture often come back at us as Christians in, look, how do you how do you justify God commanding various kings and so forth throughout the Bible to go in and totally eradicate an entire group of people? It's men, women, children, their animals, everything. Wipe them out completely. Harim, doing H-E-R-E-M. that. Yeah, uh, that's a good question, and that's a question for another episode. However, I will tell you that book four and book five in the Unseen series address that question specifically. <laughs> I'm about to finish book four, and it's very exciting. You want me to give you the thumbnail? Of course. Okay. So the flood created a situation that had never existed before. 
And subsequent to that, the Tower of Babel event created a new situation. God, who had originally made humanity with only one language, all of a sudden instantaneously invented all the new languages. And around those new languages, cultures and ethnic groups coalesced. This played to the advantage of the kingdom of darkness because now all their first four strategies had failed to corrupt the entirety of humanity. Genesis 1 through 11 show that there was always some, always a remnant who loved God and wanted him and followed his ways. In face of their failure to corrupt the entirety of humanity, all of a sudden, the division of humanity into ethnic groups, language groups, cultures, and nations created opportunity for the kingdom of darkness. So Satan released more prisoners from his prison that's described in Isaiah 14. They became the kings of the earth, the kings of all these people groups. And then he runs his hierarchy extremely rigidly with a principality in charge of each people group. And it was the apostle Paul who penetrated people group after people group. He went from Galatians to Phrygians to Lydians and Macedonians and Corinthians and Athenians and Romans. And it was the Apostle Paul who had the privilege of penetrating territory after territory. Well, that's why he was the one who wrote, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of wickedness in the heavenly places. Because he had a direct understanding from this, the scriptural Old Testament revelation that kingdom of darkness relies upon bottlenecks to control large numbers of people. And in our day, we see this. Hollywood represents a bottleneck. Washington, D.C. represents a bottleneck. The capitals and cultural centers of many other areas represent bottlenecks so that if the enemy, the kingdom of darkness, can control those few, they influence all those young people that Jerry was talking about earlier. And so there you have a little glimpse, book four and book five. We'll continue our discussion in the next episode of The Unseen Realm with Paul Renfro and his friends. In the show notes are the links mentioned as well as the whiteboard we used and the scriptures that we discussed. Now, you already know that our podcast and Bible discussion benefits from your thumbs up or thumbs down, right? So thanks for doing that, and we'll enjoy your participation. If you have questions or interest, you can use the contact form at ParadigmLighthouse.com to reach out to us.